Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Gareth. I'm an elder serving at New Life Church. If you are joining us for the first time, welcome. And to all of our members, welcome to the service here on the Lord's Day on a Friday. And even though we can't be together, again, we are grateful for this technology that we can meet online. And we are scattered, but we are grateful for the opportunity that we can worship the Lord together this morning. So today we are concluding our mini-series on elder-led congregationalism. Last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, and we learned that each member is to be using the gifts God has given them to help build and grow the church of Jesus Christ. So today we get to see this truth in action, and today it is a great joy to ordain and to install Pedro Samuel as an elder of New Life Church. Um, he has been elected by the members of New Life Church into this office of elder, and we were hoping and waiting that we could come together so that we could um, ordain him together as a congregation. But because of the restrictions, today we are going to do this online, a first for, for New Life Church, but at least we can pray together, we can encourage each other online, and we can praise God together for, for what he has done. So we are briefly going to look at what the Bible has to say about the office of an elder, but also the office of deacons, and also the responsibility as a congregation from 1 Timothy chapter 3 to verse 1 to verse 16. And the title of my message this morning is The Household of God. And then after that, we will be ordaining Pedro. So if you would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we will read this portion of Scripture together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 16. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Please pray with me this morning before we study God's Word together. Lord, we pray that the Spirit would teach us this morning. We pray, Father, that you would help us to concentrate on your Word. Thank you for this time that we can grow in truth and in knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and His church. And we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the head of the church. And Father, we pray that you would lead us as the head does and help us, Lord, to obey and follow as the rest of the body does. So, Lord, we pray, please, Lord, speak to us. May we not leave without knowing that we have met with the living God today. And we ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The story is told of a terrible traffic accident. So police, police officers were called to the scene And when they arrived, they found a husband, wife, and two children lying unconscious in the car. And they pulled them from the car, and as they waited for the paramedics to arrive, they noticed that there was a monkey in the car also. So seeing that the monkey was the only witness to the accident who was conscious, the officers decided to question him about the, the accident. So turning to the the monkey, they asked, what was the dad doing at the time of the accident? And the monkey motioned, indicating that the dad was drinking. So the officers next asked what the mother had been doing at the time of the accident. And the the monkey took his finger and he shook it angrily at the unconscious man. The officers then asked what the children had been doing. And the monkey this time indicated by hand gestures that the, the children had been, been fighting in the back seat. And the officer, the officer said, well, no wonder there was an accident with all that was going on in the car. And as they turned to leave, almost as a parting gesture, they, they asked, by the way, what were you doing at the, the time of the accident? To which the monkey signed that he had been driving the car. Well, sadly, this scenario is a picture of confusion and chaos that is happening in many churches today. Confusion and chaos ultimately leads to accidents, and accidents always lead to to damage and hurt. And in our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul tells us very clearly what the purpose is of this letter, why he wrote this letter to the church. He says in verse 14, look there in your Bibles with me, I am writing these things to you so that, verse 15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Please underline that. That you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The Bible says also in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, that everything in the church must be done decently and in order. So today we're going to look at this order. Today we're going to look 
at how we are to behave in the household of God and what the household of God really is. So my, I have three points to my message this morning. The first point is the elders. The second point is the deacons. And the third point is the congregation. So turn with me to verse 1. We will look at verse 1 to verse 7, the elders. That's my first point this morning. The apostle Peter, in his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock. So what is an elder? An elder serves the good shepherd. The good shepherd is Jesus Christ himself, and they do this by providing his local flock with spiritual oversight. Elders feed, elders lead, elders protect, and they, they nurture church members like shepherds do with sheep. But what are the biblical qualifications for an elder? Well, we see that here in our passage this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, there is a, a list of what is required of an elder. And as you think of Pedro this morning, as you think of the man that you have elected as an elder, I'm sure you have gone through these qualities already. We have already looked at them um, previously, but let me read them to you this morning. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, overseer simply means elder, they use, this word is used interchangeably. It also means bishop. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or pastor, same word, overseer, pastor, elder, bishop, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Well, here we see the, the nature of the work. An elder is supposed to watch over. He's supposed to guard the local church. And there are qualities for a man to do this. We see that an overseer, an elder, a pastor must be spiritually mature enough to discern spiritual dangers and to guard and to guide the flock into spiritual growth. And we've heard a lot about spiritual growth over the last couple of weeks. And the list of qualifications we have looked at already in the past. But I so we won't go into detail this morning. We're just going to see the general principle. But if you look at verse 2, it says an overseer or an elder must be above reproach. So the list of elder qualifications focus predominantly on character, not on their abilities, not on their expertise, these qualifications focus on character. In fact, verse 2 and verse 8 say that these leaders are to be worthy of respect, or these leaders are to be above reproach. 
In other words, ordained leaders in the local church are to have a good reputation, not just in the church, but also in the community. And I think these two verses, verse 2 and verse 8, they best summarize all the qualities of an elder that are listed here in our passage. <coughs> Excuse me. Think of how damaging a bad reputation can be. And think of how helpful a good reputation is. I read this week, reputation is like mountain climbing. It's a slow, hard slog to make good progress, but it's easy to slip and to lose a lot of ground. And then it's really difficult to regain that ground, isn't it? And that's why character is so important for a leader in the local church. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 tells us, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So elders must not only be irreproachable as far as the outside word, the outside world is concerned, but they have to be exemplary in their, their local relations with people close to them. Otherwise, they're hypocrites, isn't it? What they do with others is not what happens with the close relatives or close friends. An elder's most basic job is to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And those were the words of Paul himself, who said that to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that is why an elder must be someone who can lead by example. Shepherd the church, Peter says, not by lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. First Peter chapter 5, verse 3. Shepherds are to shepherd the sheep, not by lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. So this morning, I want to give Pedro a charge. I want to give him a charge that he needs to remember as he starts his ministry as an elder of New Life Church. And Pedro's in front of me, so I can see him. I'm looking at him, okay? Pedro, the mandate to, to model maturity comes with two very important implications. First, modeling means you must guard your godliness. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to your life and to your teaching. Continue to live close to the Lord. Nurture your, your wife. Nurture your family. Resist sin. And love people. Open your life to the loving accountability of the elders and to the church. But model maturity is something you have to do all the time. And it's a team project. It's not something that you can do isolated. And that leads to a second implication. Modeling requires elders to be close to the people. And we've read what it means to be an elder. And we, we enjoyed the term that the elders need to smell like the sheep, isn't it? Elders need to be among the people. It only works if people see you close up. And so open your life to, to church members. Invite them into your home. Let them see your hobbies. Let them see your ministry. And people need a first-hand experience of how 
you handle stress, of how you relate to Victorina. They need to see how you respond in difficult situations to difficult people and how you humble yourself and admit when you are wrong, when you've blown it. So Pedro, as you lead, don't lose sight of the, the destination. The goal isn't to, to lead a church to become an efficient organization, although that's important. Rather, elders should lead church members towards maturity in Christ. And Jesus gave teaching shepherds to the church, as we've seen in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 to 13. The reason he's given these gifts to the church is so that we can build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So we need to bring the flock to green pastures, Pedro, and still waters when they help members know Jesus more, when they get to a point where they can teach others also what they have been taught and help others to reflect Christ's glory to the world. Like Jesus, teaching needs to be central to our ministry as elders. And we need to make Jesus and the gospel the primary content of our teaching. We need to major on the majors. And in every decision, you need to lead the people toward knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And let them see the character of Jesus exemplified in your life. And just as Jesus often turned aside to pray, so we as elders are also to be joining Jesus in interceding for the people of New Life Church. So Pedro, reflect Jesus. Be a model that people can imitate. Be a leader that is worth following, that reflects Jesus, the chief shepherd. So those are the qualifications and the duties of an, of an elder. But in our passage, we also have qualifications for a deacon. And I didn't want to just skip this this morning because we have deacons in our church and we need more deacons in our church. So I thought it helpful for us this morning to look at verse 8 to verse 13. That's my second point, the deacons. And just a few comments about deacons. Verse 8 says, deacons likewise must be dignified. So again, we are focusing on character. Again, we're not focusing on particular expertise or particular education or particular abilities. We're looking at character. Deacons have a crucial role in the life and the health of any local church. But their role is a little different from elders. The biblical role of deacons is to take care of the physical and the logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on the ministry of prayer and preaching. And this distinction is based in the pattern that we found in, in Acts chapter 6, verse, verse 1 to 7. So here in Acts chapter 6, we are introduced to a, to a group who many believe to be the first deacons. And at this point, the apostles were still leading the church and um, the, the business of Looking after this big congregation was getting, was getting very difficult, very burdensome. And here in verse 1, it tells us, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That sounds just like any local church, isn't it? 
There's some complaints coming up. And there's a gap. There's a crack. And it's not being looked after. So the 12 apostles summon the full number of the disciples. The disciples is not just talking about the 12 years. It's talking about the church. And they say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And what they're talking about is serving the widows. There was a, there was a ministry in the church that wasn't being looked after well. They weren't looking after the widows. And it was clear there was murmuring and there was complaining. And they recognized this problem. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, of whom we will appoint to this ministry, to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Like I said, in the earliest days of the church, the apostles led the church at Jerusalem. This is the church at Jerusalem. One church at this time. Many disciples. And it became necessary for them to delegate some of their responsibilities to other mature Christian men and women. That allowed them, the apostles, to concentrate on preaching and teaching while the deacons concentrated on meeting the people's physical and material needs. But here's the qualifications in 1 Timothy um, chapter 3. Look at verse 8 to verse 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Based on the New Testament, the role of deacon is mostly to be a servant. If you notice those qualifications there, there's nothing there saying that they need to be able to teach. And that's one of the big differences that they have here in the, the different lists. The church needs deacons to help provide logistical and material support so that the elders can do the spiritual work of studying the scriptures and praying and, and teaching if the elders are running around doing all the logistical work, there's not very much time left to study. And that reflects in the preaching. And that eventually affects the, the church because of the, 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 the simple milk that they're receiving and not the, the pure word that is meaty for them to, to, to digest and to grow on. So the deacons help with this very necessary task. And the reason, again, like I said earlier on, I needed to put this in here is because we need more deacons. 
We need more deacons in our church. So these are the qualifications and the duties of a deacon. But I want to spend most of our time looking at the congregation. That's my third and last point this morning. The congregation, looking at verse 14 to verse 16. Look there with me, if you would. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So just a few comments about the congregation. Here we see in verse 15, the apostle gives three metaphors for the church, three ways which God views the church. I hope you can see that there in verse 15. He talks about a family, number one. He talks about an assembly, the church of the living God, number two. And then number three, he talks about the church as a, as a pillar, a support, a buttress or a foundation of the, the faith, number three. So the church is God's family. The church is God's family. The church is made up of brothers, of sisters, of, of mothers and fathers. We see that in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus himself saying, these are my brothers and sisters. These are my mothers. So the church is a faith family, and we use that word quite often here at New Life Church, and that's for a reason. We often say brother and sister, and that's good to remind ourselves that we are a family. Recently, we went to visit Simba and Michelle and little Shauna. Shauna is four months old at the moment, and it was such a blessing to see how God is growing this, this little family. But it hasn't all been smooth sailing um, for Simba and Michelle. Both Simba and Michelle were telling us how tired they are from a lack of sleep. See, baby Shauna is a colic baby, and he cries and he cries, and he keeps them up all hours of the night. But despite these parents' feelings of inadequacy, they have persevered, and they've done this patiently, and they are learning as much as they can, and they are growing together as a family. And Shauna is getting stronger and better and cuter day by day. And that is how it should be in the, the church family, isn't it? You know, we cry together, we grow together, we learn together. We don't run away from each other when the going gets tough. And I know Simba and Michelle told us many times they were tempted to run away from all of the crying and all of the, 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 the troubles that they were facing. But we love each other as Christ loves us. We persevere with each other through all of the, the struggles and the, the trials. We pour our lives into our brothers and sisters in Christ until, as Ephesians says, we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. The reality is that the church is God's family. And that reality should affect how we 
treat each other. Are you showing this faith family to the members of your church? This also implies openly sharing hardships. Do we share our problems with the members of New Life Church? This also means bearing the burdens of others. Do we do this or do we just keep them to ourselves, just bottling up our issues and our problems? It also means that we work hard to reconcile when conflicts happen. And conflicts happen, don't they, folks? But we have the Bible to help us work out and work through these problems. It also means seeking the best for others, just as we would with a a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. We seek the best for each other because the reality is this is God's family, and we are part of this. We have the privilege of being part of this family. Just before we left Simba and Michelle's house the other day, I prayed for the family. And in my prayer, I asked the Lord to to help Simba and Michelle be godly parents, to teach little baby Shauna truth, even at this young age, that they would raise Shauna up to know the gospel and to love the creator of the, the universe who sent his son to purchase our redemption. So baby Shauna is not going to know these precious truths unless he is taught them by his parents. And as the congregation is taught from the word of God, as we speak truth into each other's lives, what happens? We grow. We mature in our faith, isn't it? The more truth we know, the easier it is to stand against the devil. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the easier it is to respond in faith and obedience, isn't it? The stronger we become in our faith, the more equipped we are to turn away from worldly, fleshly lies and, the, and, 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 and pursuits that the devil will, will hurl at us to cause us to sin. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, The church is the foundation of truth. Are we being teachable? Are we allowing the elders to help us build our house on this foundation, on this solid rock, on truth? Are we allowing ourselves to be brainwashed with truth? Are we washing our brain with truth? Or is the world filling our brain with other things? We need each other. We need each other. Baby Shauna needs his parents in order to grow up. And we need each other to, to do the same, to grow up well, should I say. And the congregation is to be teachable. You need to trust their elders and let them teach them so that they can mature in, in the faith and, and grow up. It is our prayer as elders that someday as a result of our ministry, our teaching ministry, members of the church will mature to the point where they can become deacons, where they can become elders. Or even missionaries or pastors of other churches. Now, I shared a few months back at one of our Thursday night Bible study fellowships the vision that we have to one day send Pedro and Victorina to 
Angola as New Life Church missionaries to, to plant a church there. But we all start at some point, isn't it? We didn't just decide, okay, let's choose somebody randomly. We didn't just spin a bottle and say, okay, Pedro and Victorina, you're going to, to um, Angola. They've been in this church a long time. They have grown in their faith. They have matured. Pedro and Victorina started off at New Life Church um, just visiting in, let me get my dates right here, in November 2014. Isn't that right, Pedro? And then officially they became members in March 2015. And today, 14th of May, 2021, Pedro officially becomes a pastor of New Life Church. And those who are faithful with small tasks can be entrusted with larger tasks, larger responsibilities. And the congregation is to grow up, is to mature. The congregation is to do the work of the ministry, just as we saw in Ephesians chapter 4. And so the Lord intends the congregation to serve, to love, to serve each other, to serve the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He intends for us as elders to pour ourselves into you so that you can do just that. As we saw last week in Ephesians 4, elders equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And again, elder-led congregationalism means that we care for one another and we build one another up until we reach Christ-like maturity. And leaders use our authority to help equip the church. And we saw that even the church has authority to build each other up, to build itself up, each using their authority, and the congregation and the elders to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church and who gave himself as a sacrifice for her. We each have a responsibility. We each have an activity in us. And this passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 really shows it beautifully how we are all involved in this task. Remember, the whole reason for all of this is so that we would be a church, that we would be a church that is mature in our faith, and strong in confidence in Christ Jesus as our hope. Well, let me conclude. Let me conclude this morning. Let me bring this all together. Ephesians 4, we saw that Christ had given gifts to his church. The apostle Paul emphasized that Christ's gifts are not specific qualities or specific abilities that individuals have, but rather the emphasis we saw in Ephesians 4 was the people as gifts that God had given to the church, for the growth of the church. And I really do thank the Lord for the men He has raised up at New Life Church to serve as leaders, to serve as elders, and for the men and, and the women who He has raised up as deacons in the church to, to serve the body. And will you pray with me that God will continue to use these people to Serve Him faithfully as Christ builds His church for His glory? Will you pray with me that God will raise up more deacons and more elders from New Life Church? We need men who desire the noble work of oversight of His flock. We need men and women who will serve as deacons. We cannot grow without this. Please pray with me for this.
And will you also pray that God will help you and every member of New Life Church to be filled with the Spirit and to be faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ. Pray that we, as a congregation, will take our responsibilities seriously and that we will serve and help each other to grow in Christ-likeness so that our hope will not be on the world or in the world or on any person, but that our hope will be in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And so that we will endure suffering in this present evil world, looking forward to eternity with Jesus, and in the process, reflect Christ to a world around us that is dying without hope. Will you pray with me for that today? Father, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful passage that so beautifully shows how the deacons, the elders, and even the congregation are all together in this, building up the church of the living God. Thank you that you are the, the living God that we can worship this morning. We are not in a church that worships a dead God. We are in the church of the living God. And we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can be part of this church that is a pillar and a buttress of truth. That we don't have to follow lies. We don't have to be deceived into decisions that will hurt us and even destroy us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who are able to defend the truth. Because we know the devil wants us to believe lies. He wants us to follow all things that are deceitful and evil. Father, we pray that you would raise up people in our church that would serve, that you would help us all, Lord, to realize our responsibilities, not just the, the few, not just the few who are playing the game of baseball on the field and while the rest of the congregation sits in the grandstands eating popcorn and hot dogs. Help us all, Lord, to be serving. Help us all to be playing this very important game, Lord, that you have given us to, to play. Help us all to be making disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to take our responsibilities seriously, Lord, and that we will endure suffering in this present world, looking forward to eternity with hope, because we will be there with Jesus, our Savior, who has died and risen so that we can be forgiven of our sins, who has paid the redemption price that needed to be paid for the, for the sins that we have committed. So today we thank you for Jesus, our risen Savior, our living hope. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us and lead us as a church to reflect him in every way in our church and in the world that we work in, that Christ may be magnified, that Jesus may be exalted, that the gospel may be proclaimed, and that people would love Jesus as we do. I ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.